Welcome back to another episode of Better with Paul. Now, you know, like always, this episode was incredible. Not only did we have amazing guests, but this episode was packed full of value. And I know a lot of people overuse that word value, but I promise you, this was value. So I'm excited for you to hear it. Let's do it. Right after the break, another episode of Better with Paul. Yeah. You know, when I think of Christina Lewis, I really think of two, actually, I think of three things, three things really come to mind. One is that Christina is a really proud, I could tell, mommy and wife. I think above everything, she's really proud. She, she's, I think she, she just exudes I love being a mother. I love being a wife. I cherish this. I think that's very important, right? So that's even, I think, one of the reasons why we connect. So that's one. Secondly, is Christina strikes me as someone who very much cares about legacy impact. And I truly see her as a social entrepreneur. A matter of fact, I think her activity around, in particular, Black Lives Matter and the initiatives that she's created you know, since then, which, which, you know, we will definitely touch on that it proves she's truly a social entrepreneur. And then the third is I adore how much attention and focus she puts into sustaining the legacy of her father. That to me touches me, right? And it makes me want to fight for her and the family and the legacy. And that's the reason why, you know, I wanted to be here to have this conversation with her. So none other than let's let's bring her on. Let's bring her on. Let's bring on Christina Lewis. Let's 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 see if we can make this look at that. Christina, how are you doing? How are you doing? I am so good, Paul. You know, I am going to be hard to live up to all that, but I am that was just an amazing introduction. Each time I just hear more from you and learn more about you and Jill. It's just even more inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, I'm just here to, we're, we're all here to thank you. And we're here, we're here to thank your family, you know, and uh, this was, as you know, this is our book club. This is the final meeting of our book club. We, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people sign up. And you know what I found really interesting is most people who signed up had already read the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted I wanted to say um, hello to everyone, to all of your um, you know your listeners and, and these readers. But I am really excited to be here and um, you know to to meet you all and to converse with you and really uh, and really honored. It means so much to me that you have, um, that you've read the book, that you're reading the book. Um, as Paul said, that is our, you know, that is our purpose here. Um, and, and I'm just so excited to hear what you, what you all think about it. Um, and you know, Paul, that you are, you know, you've been one of the people to really, you know, we've connected and who've talked so much about how the book changed your life in such a dramatic way. But you know, if you listen to the Audible introduction, you know, that you're not alone. You know, that there are many, in fact, virtually every successful Black entrepreneur in business 
has like has read the book, you know, like really successful ones. It is amazing. So you're also part of a, um, you know, you're you're part of a group. I think you know one of the leaders who who go out and read the book and didn't just read it, but also went and had careers and started businesses, you know, yeah. like you have. Um, yeah. So it's you know, so so this this is what you just said. I think is one of the most intriguing parts of the legacy of the book is because I, I find it, I think I shared this with your mother is I feel like knowing that you read the book is like a secret handshake mm. at, at parties. You know, it's, you know, when, 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 when you have, you know, that one-on-one -on -one at in the corner of a cocktail party and mm. you're talking about different experiences and you mentioned the book, at, that's the moment where it's like, okay, we're connected. Right, we're, we're in a special way. When you just think of the impact, I mean, just, 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 just let, let's just, let's just think because we have people from all over the world, you know, who read the book. Right, you said virtually every successful black entrepreneur has read the book, and I can attest, everyone I know has. <laughs> Do you feel weight on your shoulders to 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 continue to further the legacy? Because because to me, it seems like. There's a lot of responsibility. That you have. <laughs> uh, so do I feel weight to carry the legacy? I mean, yes, yes. Um, you know, why should white guys have all the fun um, is, uh, you know, it's it's been this amazing uh, manual for, for so many different people. Now, for me, um, my story, I didn't read this book until I was 25. Oh, and it came out, uh, it came out when I was 15, um, because it was just so hard to, um, you know, to, to grapple with. And that was just one, one sign of how, of how difficult it was. Because for me, I mean, obviously I'd lived it, you know, so I knew, I knew the hype, I knew the, <laughs> I'd gotten the, the unfiltered version, right? So, um, but yeah, but it's pressure to to be perfect and pressure to always give it 110 percent and um that yeah that was a lot to deal with but i think that maybe that a lot of your listeners here and you yourself um sort of struggle with this sometimes like as you know as black people i think we all know that we're here standing on the shoulders of giants right and we think about even I do. I think about Rosa Parks. You know, I think about Martin Luther King. I think about all the people who made it possible that I can vote you know, in this country. So I think against that, I feel like we all have this pressure, right? That you know, we have to we have to go and um, and deserve this. Um, but yes, the the legacy is a lot. I'm lucky to have um, lucky to have friends like you and. You know, and others and family who've um, who've helped me learn and gain more. And if you've you know, followed, you know, we we connect on Instagram a lot. And so, if you follow me on Instagram uh, at the Christina Nine Nine, you've heard me talk about you know mental health, yes. wellness, um, yes, and how much I invest in my children, you know, and my husband and my relationships, uh, and that all comes from ultimately reading, you know, and imbibing like this book and everything about hard work that it talks about, but also the balance, you know, that, um, you know, you do need to focus on your health. 
you know, you know, work and your career is not, you know, is not the most important thing. Right. And that's what I love also about you, Paul, you know, and Jill, it's clear that, you know, well, you know, your boys are thriving, you know, your marriage is thriving. And so, you know, so you're working like crazy. Right. Yeah. But I'm sure that if something ever went wrong with your family or it needed attention, you know, that just immediately, you know, OK, I have to, you know, I, I have to reprioritize here because, you know, I know I know what's really important. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's just some of the... At 100, 1,000%, 1,000%. You know, so Christina, I see people are starting to drop questions in here. Oh, great. And I think what, what we'll do is, I'll, and I'll, I'll pull them because we'll, we'll just kind of float around. I, I have an idea of what I want to do, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll ebb and flow. But mm -hmm. one question that popped up from Deborah Allen Rogers, and I think this is a great uh, kickoff question is, she wants to know, is this the same for women? And I think she's referring back to when we were talking about that secret handshake. And, oh. and, and, and for me, I'll, I'll give you my observation is, um, all of those conversations have been with men. Mm -hmm. Black men. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we the book is really a great book and we want everyone to read it. No, and I've had, um, the people who come up to us and to my mother and others are of all races and women. You know, I find this book personally inspirational. Many women, um, you know, Carla Harris, uh, who's a, um, a, a leading banker, you know, is, is just one of many, many, many who are inspired by the book. And sometimes I do think that, um, so that we want to broaden the readership. You know, I mean, he, he's just a businessman. You know, he's not a... You know, we don't, we, you know, you don't kind of want him to be, kind of have the segregated readership necessarily. But so, uh, so the book is totally inspiring for many, many women. However, there is something unique happening with, with men, you know, that I found who read it, that it, uh, that, that, that I think they tend to connect with each other a little more. Now, I don't, no, I don't know this, uh, you know, you would know better uh, than I, like, firsthand. It does tend to be that the people who come to us who just are really all in just have tended to be, uh, tended to be male. Uh, also, he was in a fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi. I don't know if there are any, um, any, any noobs in this, in this chat. Can I think there are. You shout it out. Uh, uh, so he was in this fraternity, and yes, there we go. Um, uh, and so many pledges in this fraternity. From what I under, from what I know, um, they actually read this book as part of the pledge process, and that a lot of kappas are, you know, are entrepreneurs and are businessmen. Uh, so that is an actual fraternity, <laughs> um, and so that may be why, even if you don't. You are in a part of that fraternity. If if you read the book, it kind of like filters in okay. that way. So some of his biggest fans are also people who happen to be in this uh, in the in the Kappas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So good deal. Good deal. You, you know what's interesting is um too. I, I can always gauge the uh, the crowd by the questions that are posed, and it, it's clear we have a lot of hardcore business either execs and entrepreneurs, because already I see questions coming in around, all right, let's talk about some of these deals. <laughs> let's, talk about, let's talk about some of these memories around these deals. Yeah. So, so here, here's where I want to go is, 
let's go back to what is the first memory that comes to mind of your father? So when I say first memory is whenever you think you hear his name, yeah. what, what, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? Well, I mean, the first memory is uh, is him coming home from work or actually coming. Uh, it's Paris. You didn't mean first memory in my life, but just the first image is uh, is coming home from work, especially when we were living in Paris. We moved there uh, in 1988. So I was eight years old then. And he lived um, in New York half the month. So he'd be in New York for two weeks and in Paris for two weeks with us. Uh, so when he came back, you know, every, I guess it's every month, right? Like he'd come back. That was always a big moment. And, you know, it's often I'd be there and, you know, and he'd come in and I could see him, you know, from the kitchen or from the dining room. And that was always really exciting. I'd come and hug him and we'd have stories and he'd be back for dinner. It wasn't the same, uh, you know, it wasn't the same in the house when he wasn't there. Right. So, yeah, and he always had, you know, he had his uniform, he was coming in from work, his suit, uh, so, so many of those, and, and tie. so, yeah, that's, that's big. And hearing the door close, uh, and that was true at the Brownstone, too. You know, we'd be, um, you know, I'd already be downstairs, dinner would be getting ready, and he'd come home, and he'd come home for dinner, but he'd come home, like, just in time, you know, <laughs> like, not, um, you're not kind of hanging out before. So I'd hear that door slam and I'd know that he'd be home. And he's there, he's there. Yeah. What, what was he like in the house, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, it's interesting. My, um, you know, and, and, you know, with my, with my boys, Kingston and Liam, whenever I hear them characterize me, it's funny because when I think of my relationship with them, I think, okay, you know, I'm the jokey dad, we, we hang out. Like I think of myself, okay, I'm the cool dad, right? But their interpretation is like, no, dad, he works a lot. Like yeah. he, he works and he's strict. You know, that's, that's <laughs> you know, of me, right? What, what was he like in the house? In the house, oh, well, I have to say it's similar to you. I mean, he was, he was strict. <laughs> he was, I mean, they were both strict. And, you know, my mom, my mom's here, you know, by the way. She's over there, like, listening. I'm surprised she hasn't said it. Tell, tell um, us, hello. Uh, but let's see. Um, he, uh, well, in the house, so he was very organized, right? So he had an office in, um, in the house, and it was always uh, very nice. But actually, it was, they'd be open. Right, so his office at our brownstone, um, 351, this is where we lived before Paris, uh, was also our TV room, right? Um, so he would, like, even be in there and kind of work or, like, get things while I'd be watching uh, TV. Um, and the place was completely clean. He had everything in his briefcase, like all his papers, et cetera. So his desk was empty. All it had was a calculator, a phone, a yellow legal pad, and, um, and a pen, a certain kind of pen, and his stereo. Uh, so he was, you know, so I always knew where to find him. So he was always working, but he didn't mind being interrupted. You know, so if I needed something, it wasn't like, you know, I wouldn't, it was fine to go in and get something. Oh, we need this. And I had questions. Um, I didn't, 
I, he sort of, he was distant enough. I didn't go in and like bother him all the time. I wouldn't, I didn't feel comfortable saying, oh, dad, like come build this Lego house with me. You know, because I knew that he, that he needed to work. Um, but so, so that was it. That was, um, and that was during the week. And then on weekends, you know, we'd do trips. He would, um, you know, but he did, he had his own space a lot. And then when he'd do things with us, like we'd go out for trips, we'd go out shopping, like we would, um, he would, he taught me how to ride a bike, uh, which, um, you know, which, which was really great. And he, uh, but yeah, and then a lot of it was at meals. You know, so at meals, we had these really long um, dinners, uh, especially uh, in um, in Paris, at least an hour. And we couldn't leave. But even even for 351 growing up, the dinner, I used to say it was like a prison. You're like, once you sit down, <laughs> you're never getting up. You know, we had to ask, we had to, I had to ask permission to be excused. And they'd say no, you know, it wasn't like, there were courses, um, but and a lot of talking, and you talk about um, things that had happened that day, current events, there'd be debate. Now, I was expected to speak, Leslie was expected to speak, presentations, quizzes. We had this game called Math, History, or Literature that I enjoyed, right? But where we'd pick a topic and then um, you know, and he'd give us a question in it, like, okay, math, let's, there was this, um, you know, with word problems and other things like that that he'd come up with. And Les, I would be so excited to, to go and like, you know, impress him and try to prove myself. My sister uh, loved to tell, she's an actress um, and producer and she loved to perform. And so she'd tell like elaborate jokes that she came up with. And, you know, we were all, uh, no, I mean, he was, uh, even, even before he, he was so successful, he was a, just a charismatic, impressive guy. So when he was there, I think he all just naturally wanted to go and do, you now and be, not entertain him. I mean, it was just us, but it was, it was, uh, the dinner table was a place where we, um, yeah, where there was a lot of talking, <laughs> I'll say. I'll talk. So, and, and whining, sometimes whining. He, he, he seems, he, he comes off in, 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 in photographs and in video footage and interviews I've seen talking with your mother, um, that he was incredi incredibly magnetic, you know, incredibly charismatic to the point where extraordinarily charismatic, you know. But I want to dig into the meals a little bit because I saw you uh, re re uh, reshare one of the stories that I mentioned, and and it was fascinating how you endorsed the idea. And it sounds like this is exactly what's what's happened to you here. And so, you know, what I shared on Instagram was that one of the things I learned working with Enver Ugel and, and Oprah Winfrey was really how elaborate the dinners were, and this notion of never eating alone long dinners, lots of courses, but the objective was always, let's use this as a learning experience. Let's bring lots of different minds together, no matter the age, no matter the discipline, and let's share among each other. So who were, if I could ask, who were some of the invitees to, to this dinner? Was it just family or you know, were you entertaining others? Um. 
You know, it's interesting you ask that question, and the answer is no. We almost never invited anyone to the house. Uh, yeah, we um, we almost never had anyone, except for family, but we almost never had anyone else um, at dinner in the house, and we almost never went out to eat, uh, only on special occasions. In fact, it was only later after he passed away that I that we started even doing takeout. Like, we, we never had takeout. We didn't, oh, didn't you know, we had... Again, except for something special. We had like a few restaurants we'd go to sometimes, but it really wasn't, wasn't a thing. So no, he had, um, he didn't have very, we didn't have very many family friends, you know, like where you go to someone's house and you all stay there and visit. And I have many people like that now, you know, who are sort of friends, but almost, you know, family. We, there was none of that. There was, um, you know, his actual, you know, our actual relatives, and we had a lot in the Philippines and and elsewhere. Uh, but from uh, from later, and also from the book, as people know, he did do that uh, professionally. Now, so he would have lunches with people now, and he read about, and he definitely got around. I mean, to this day in New York City, many of the people you mentioned, my social entrepreneurship, you know, I founded. Uh, All Star Code, it's a nonprofit that teaches computer science but focused on black and Latino boys because they were being overlooked. Uh, so that's a nonprofit we have to do fundraising. Um, we found uh, many of the people who are fans of my father's, I met, had actually met him. And this is, you know, he died uh, 27, almost 28 years ago. Uh, so he really... Um, yeah, so so he really networked a lot, but he did that on his, you know, in his professional life. It wasn't a part of what we did as a family, except he would have very large parties. That's what he'd do. So he'd do it all at once. It's called All Star Code, Sherry. I just have to get that in. Um, so he'd do very large parties. And I can't remember if these are in the book. Um, once we had a house in, uh, uh, in Amagansett. Uh, a second home, and then also in Paris for his birthday, he would do, um, we would have this, um, this lavish sit-down dinner but inside the house. Yeah, so we'd rent tables and, uh, and go, and that would be a seated dinner, kind of a lot, 40, 50 people. I would get dressed up, I'd sit there, um, and it would sort of function as a Christmas party. Uh, and then similarly, like when my sister turned 18, he let her have a big dinner there, but that was just for her and her friends. But so he had these big dinners and he'd invite people. Um, for their 20th wedding anniversary uh, at our house in Amagansett, there was a big, there was a big dinner and it was a mix of family and I really only paid attention to the family. But later, as I've met people who were there, I saw that there were, you know, there were some key business people there and um, he played tennis and he went to a tennis club where we'd have people to the tennis court. And I found later that, oh, this was a Canadian multi-millionaire mogul whose name I'm forgetting. And I, he would come and <laughs> you're going to like this. Uh, after tennis, if he was feeling really good, he would go to our pool and skinny dip. Oh my goodness! No, no, really! <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> "Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness!" Oh, so that's how you knew he was feeling. That's how you know he won. Yeah. yeah. So, oh my god, Dad! 
again. Oh my gosh. I love it. I'm going to start this. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's what it's I'm doing. It's not in the book, is it? Yeah. No, that, you know, what? You know, so clearly that was him unwinding, you know? Mm-hmm. How did he unwind? So tennis, right? Connecting with family clearly, that family time, mm-hmm. uh, skinny dipping, you know? What do you feel like he ever fully disconnected from the grind, from the hustle? Mm. Do that because that this is something that I have a very hard time with. Even this morning, Jill said, "No, we've had such a great year." This is literally what she said. That she said, "After you talk to Christina today, let's just unwind for the next couple days. Let's do for the next five days." And I said, "I can't." I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I said, we can have more time to relax, but I can't disconnect. Did he ever fully disconnect? And if so, what, what was he doing during that time? Like disconnect for a whole eight days, 10 days. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I'm not sure he did. I'm not sure he did. Um, he would, um, for like shorter spurts. Uh, so we would go at Christmas to, um, yeah, to, uh, to a resort somewhere and this these were these were a big deal we got um but he would join us uh he would join us a few days later he wouldn't necessarily travel with us and uh what he'd do is we'd fly through san juan usually something so he'd fly through san juan and he'd stop and he'd gamble (laughs) gamble. although he uh he quit gambling he quit gambling. Uh, he said because it got too expensive. <laughs> uh, so, so he knew how. So he knew how to rein it in. And, you know. So he did. He, um, you know, he liked to gamble. And even at home, we would play Tonk, which is the seven game. You like, you know, Tonk? Yes, I do know Tonk. That's wild. Yes. Why do I know Tonk? Yeah, I think uh, my father's from South Carolina. That must mm-hmm. be one. Yeah. Uh, but he'd insist that we play for money. He was like, it's not fun if we're not playing for money. So he'd hand out the quarters. We'd play with quarters, you know, so it's not like he wasn't the bank. But then, uh, but yeah, we always had to play uh, play for money. And so, you know, we just, he enjoyed it. So we had fun with that at home. Um, let's see, in spring event, so no, he would always, even on vacation, he'd do a little work in the morning. You know, so there, and maybe sometimes it was just alone time. You know, I don't think it wasn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be doing like a ton of work, like calls necessarily. You know, there was never any, any sense that like business, huge business was being conducted. Like, uh, but, but yeah, almost every, every day he, he'd be in there and he'd work and in uh, Springy Banks, which was our house uh, before he bought TLC Beatrice, he had this, um, balcony uh off of the room that he used as his study and again it was uh, it was very um it was very open right like the house at springy banks there are almost no doors just to the bedroom so we could um but he would sit out on this porch he he was he tried to quit the cigar but he had a hard time with it but so yeah he'd go out he'd smoke not something he's proud of something he does not want people to emulate didn't want people to emulate uh and, uh, but yeah, we'd still be out there and work. But you know, we'd grill, taught me how to ride a bike, we'd swim, he played tennis. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he loved uh, culture, that's what he'd do with my mom. 
Uh, I'm sure she talked about it, but uh, they we'd go to shows. Um, Alvin Ailey, Dance Theater of Harlem. Uh, we loved those. Art, uh, he loved... Um, uh, he loved um, he loved buying art um, and collecting and really appreciated art uh, and artists. Uh, he loved good food. Um, he uh, uh, yeah yeah he liked to go for drives and we would go for walks. Okay, okay, All right. I, I love it. You know, one one of the, uh, the the stories that your mom told that that I will never forget is when you know she 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 talked about how. You know, he, he, he kind of got her back to his apartment in, in New York, but how he basically was talking about these beautiful watercolors that he had purchased in Europe. And I was thinking to myself, wow, so such a young, such a young man. Um, and he just had this early love for, for art, right? And, but I always wondered, where did that come from? Because, you know, I'm familiar with Baltimore. I know Baltimore. I know Virginia State, right? Where, where where did that passion for art come from? Hmm. Well, he had a passion for the finer things in life, I think, from his grandfather, uh, Sam Cooper, who was a maitre d' at a country club. And in the book, it talks about how uh, my dad would grow up and on special nights, his grandfather would serve him like he was one of the, you know, guests at the country club. Right. And I always thought about that, that, you know, obviously this was an all white country club, right. But here at home, you know, Sam Cooper's grandfather was sort of showing my dad, this is how like you should be treated, you know, like giving him that feeling that this is like what you, this is what you deserve. So I think from that and then, being a busboy at the country club, I think it, he, you know, he heard, you know, you, you can listen, right? You can listen as people are going and talking about things. And so I know that's how he understood how, you know, how the rich lived and the kind of life that they had and how business sort of just got a sense of it from, you know, from what he saw there. But art in particular and his style, I mean, my grandmother, who's still alive, she is 90 five years old, just in September, uh, had, was very stylish. Yeah, very, very stylish and has grace and, um, you know, and knows how to put things together. Uh, but he's, he's really the only one who has art. And if you want to see here, I'm in, you see like back behind me? Yes. That's, that's a Charles Alston, uh, a black artist. Yes, yes. Um, yes. That is, uh, that's one of his paintings that he bought. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. You you know, for the first time I'm questioning something in my mind, was your father introverted or extroverted? I'd say he was extroverted, but he didn't need his alone time. Okay, yeah, you you know, and the reason why I say that is because you talked about the alone time in the morning on on, on, uh, vacations, right? And, and, you know, so for me, everyone says, oh, Paul's this extrovert, blah, blah, blah. I'm actually an introvert. Mm-hmm. And I just know how to turn it on, you know, when I, when I need to. You know, when I need to step into the room, I, I, I step into the room. But I'd much rather unwind, you know, with a good book, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and that's where I source my energy. But that's interesting. So you say he, he was extroverted, though. I mean, 
I think the definition of extrovert is does talking to people give you give you energy yes. or does it take away energy? And he would I think he would become overwhelmed because there would be so many people who, who want things from him and yes, the pressure to perform and put on the persona, but he really got energy from talking to people. And he, uh, so he, um, there, that's in the book, um, how he'd call his mother. Uh, he'd call his mother and he'd be talking to her about, you know, about business, you know, and other things. And, you know, she's, she, I mean, she's a wonderful woman, right? And she's very, she has a lot of common sense and wisdom, but you know, she's not, a, you know, I mean, she's not a, she wasn't a businesswoman, right? He was calling her because he needed someone that he could trust who would listen, who would listen at, you know, as he talked things over. Yeah, so I think an introvert would, would do that on their own, right? But he, and there are stories and of people like that, that he would use. He would, um, you know, he'd talk to people and say, let me give you a presentation. You know, and he, I'm, I'm doing a pitch tomorrow. Let me practice it on you. So you go and you practice on the person or talk to people and ask their advice, call all around. So that's why I'd say that he, that he was an extrovert because that's how he, it was a crucial part of his, of his working process. All right. So there are, um, you know, a, a few, few questions in here. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going back and forth, but one, I find this interesting. Reginald Carter wants to know, did he learn, is it tag-along? Is it tag-along? Tag-along. Tag-along from your mother. Did he learn that? Uh, no, I, he learned a few words, but uh, no, that's not something that he, that he learned, that, that he did learn, I'm sorry to say. Uh, I don't know it. I don't know very much either. My sister knows more. Leslie. An another one here is, uh, how many times has Christina read mm. this, this, this book? And what was your first, and, and uh, what was the very first lesson that you learned from the book? From the book. Ooh, that, it's hard to remember. So I first read it when I was 25, right, um, overall. Then I read it a second time, like fully more recently. Um, and now I'm, uh, I've been listening to the Audible, although actually I haven't listened to the whole thing on Audible. So I would guess it's only three times uh, that I've really read it, um, that I kind of like read it as a book. But I, I go and I pick it up um, all the time uh, at different family events. I, um, you know, I, 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 pick, I pick sections and I read from them. Uh, I, as we're doing, you know, as you know, this is like my side hustle, right? I haven't talked about my actual, sort of what I do. Yeah, what do you do, Christine? Um, but yeah, as part of the side hustle, I have to, like I go through, I pick up quotes, you know, I'm like looking up facts. Uh, so I, so I've gotten pretty familiar with it, but in fact, some of the, uh, so yeah, but what do I do? Thank you. Thank you for asking, Paul. What do you do? <laughs> uh, uh, well, I am a, a social entrepreneur. I'd say I'm a likes-to-do-gooder who really enjoys starting things no, from the ground up. So All Star Code, which I already talked about, which is about diversifying computer science and tech pathways. Uh, but I just founded a new organization called Give Black, uh, and it is inspired by the Black Lives Matter um, post-George Floyd's murder. And we're about creating racial equity in giving, 
Now, you may not know, but of the four, four, Americans give $450 billion a year away to charity, but less than 4% of that goes to black organizations, you know, like black led controlled by black people. So what we're doing is we're highlighting black organizations so that they, to elevate them so that they can get more resources, you know, especially funding. And the first way is through um, the first easy to use searchable database of all black nonprofits. So if you know someone who has a tax exempt organization that's founded by a black person, oh, um, and uh, then you can just submit your organization and we vet every organization, just ensure that paperwork is in order, et cetera, and it can go up on the site. And people can come and can donate to the site, uh, can donate to the organizations through the site. Um, but we're doing a lot of, uh, I could go into it, but we're also working with a lot of other organizations that help get money to charities um, of sharing with them, uh, share, sharing with them these black organizations. So. Yeah, it, 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 it's a phenomenal cause. When, when you uh, created it and I saw the information, what I did is it was in, I, I started looking at some of the data in the UK because I was in the UK at the time. Yeah. And the organization I supported was actually a museum, a black museum in Brixton. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what I found interesting is I so, so I you know posted. They responded. They said, "Oh, thank you so much." They then started talking about the deficit that black or nonprofits have in the UK. So yeah. this is this is a global issue. It is. Yeah. It is a global issue, and that's something that we. Um, that 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 we look at we could talk about that about like our expansion to the uk there are just some you know it, we're a start it's uh we're actually all volunteer virtually all volunteer at this point um uh but yes it is a global problem um and african charities um you know uh, are there's a huge problem because so much philanthropy goes into Africa, but it often goes to white-led, European-led, European-based organizations right. you know, that then go and hire local workers. But, you know, I want to make clear that this is about, it's, uh, we hope that people will give more to charity. You know, Americans only give about 2% of their income to charity. But this year, people are, people are being more charitable. And we're saying, well, as you're giving more, you know, really think about giving black. You know, because by giving black, you're promoting racial equity in, you know, in giving. Yes. Because, yeah. So, yeah. So how, I mean, I know, these are the questions that you probably get and you say, you know, how am I supposed to know these very hypothetical questions? But I, but I feel compelled to ask you also because Jane, uh, who just dropped a question, who, who's from France, actually, wants to know, she said, I'd love to know more about uh, your sister. And she wants to know about more of your mother's time running the company after uh, your father's passing. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll get to that, but to segue to that is, how do you believe your father would be responding to culture today, to Black Lives Matter, to uh, you know, a buffoon in the White House? I'm sorry, this is me, right? To you know, to to um, what we what what is very clear is to be this continual uh, what I think is very methodical uh, you know attack on black business. Like, how do you think 
he would be responding to today because what I think a lot of people miss with the story of your father is they look at this prominent businessman, they see lots of photos and maybe they don't see lots of black people in the photos, but I don't think they, 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 they understand how influential and impactful he was to black culture. You know, whether it was supporting Jesse Jackson early, you know, I think your father took enormous political risk early. So how would he be responding? What would he be doing today? Sure. Well, yes, he um, he was Jesse Jackson's largest funder, um, but didn't tell anyone. Right. By design, because that might that might feel threatening. Now, too, that might have hurt his political chances, but he was something that white politicians have, which is an early uh, but major donor. So the first check that he wrote for Jesse Jackson was $100,000. Wow. Wow. The first one. The first one. The first one. then the, the other big donation he gave was that Jesse Jack, Jesse's, um, Reverend Jackson's campaign plan was my dad's plan. Um, yeah, and the, way, and the way that works is that uh, my dad pays the company you know, for it. So that's how, you know, if you give the plane to, like other people, you can loan out your plane, but you have to pay for it. Uh, uh, so um, that was very, very impactful. And you can read the articles about it. There is an article that literally says, wow, the Jesse Jackson campaign is showing more professionalism than people expected. They have a plane. They're like whizzing all around the country. And it's like, no, it's not professionalism. It's just money. (laughs) (laughs) This campaign is so professional. No, they just have money, right, to fly around. So that is... um, so I think that is really the best example of kind of thing that he'd be doing. So today, I think that he would be um, he would be digging deep into his contacts. And you said that thing about having private events and bringing in uh, you know key people, the CEO of this, the mayor, other people, getting them together and hearing about what's happening now, and I mean what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, he'd be doing that and convening people and saying, well, who is the person who? So that might be who is the political candidate who is going to bring reparations, you know, into the into the mainstream, like who are the best scholars like working on reparations right now? And he would probably look at that and he'd probably fund them, you know, in the way that in the way that Jackson was doing or more given how things are today, he'd be, so he'd look at, um, not to say unpopular, but causes that are really uh, focused on, you know, on black people and helping them in a way that the mainstream isn't doing yet to sort of take a trend and increase it. You know, I think that in business, you know, he would be actively looking for talent um, to go and back strongly to help, um, to help supercharge, uh, to help supercharge people, give them their first break, um, and he was doing that in he was doing that before he had um, Arthur Ashe, you know, the tennis pro, uh, had a um, you know you can do something where you like mentor an athlete, right? I don't know if how familiar people are with this, but that's how it works. 
Like if you have young athletes, like before, it's like an angel investor for athletes, right? They can get sponsored, et cetera. So my dad had a, um, Arthur Ashe had pinpointed this athlete for him. And my dad, he would talk about it a little bit. He'd say, you know, he'd give him money and stuff to sort of sponsor him to pay for him to compete. Unfortunately, the, you know, the kid ended up not, you know, ended up not making it, but he was doing that a lot. He had a, um, a chef. Uh, a chef who was uh, notable for being the first black chef at Tavern on the Green, wow. you know, in Central Park. Uh, so my father you know, met him, like heard about him, went and backed him on his restaurant. Interesting. Okay. Um, but again, it uh, unfortunately that one also I think didn't um, didn't necessarily. I need to find one of the ones that succeeded. Um, <laughs> that were oh, artists. But the the, one, the ones that didn't. I mean, this is very powerful. Because I, I think those are just uh, two examples. I mean, I can't, there, there must be dozens and dozens of examples where it wasn't only your father giving the money, but he was also giving his expertise. Pardon the interruption. Just want to tell you about something that my wife and I have just launched and we are very, very excited about. It's called BWP Connect. Now, you may already know, but if you don't know about it, let me put you on, okay? It's a very safe place for those of us who value legacy, culture, and financial freedom through entrepreneurship to all come together and connect. If you are interested in more information about BWP Connect, simply go to paulcbrunson.com backslash B-W-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T. That's paulcbrunson.com backslash BWP Connect. And now let's get back to the show. Think of how life-changing that was, mm. you know, an inspirational that was. I, I think these are phenomenal stories. Mm. They're, they're successes for sure. Yeah. You, um, you you know, know. Someone in your, someone in the chat asked about um, just what he'd be doing in business. Okay. And while obviously it's hard to answer that, but I did ask Michael Milken this precise question um, since he'd be in a bit more of a position to, uh, to know. And he thinks that dad would have moved into industrials. Uh, really? Really? Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Well, because that's where <laughs> that's where the money is. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's you know the financial press is really interesting now because the press can only report on what business people tell them. You know, they can't. Um, you know, they they can report on what's announced on what becomes public, you know? Um, and then sometimes, and th then they dig into people, like if someone becomes like politically important, like the Koch brothers, you know, then, then okay, then journalists will go and like dig in because the Koch brothers, people know have a private business, right? So if you have a public business and it's on the stock exchange, you have, it opens you to public scrutiny because the public can own your stock. But if you have a private business and you just own that, right? So there is, you know, so you don't have to disclose very much, you know, at all. And, um, and the press don't necessarily have a reason to, you know, to write about you. So if you're the Koch brothers, you do something politically controversial, the press will come and you learn all about them. But there are so many rich business owners, you know, who are, who are white, right? Who are incredibly rich and have incredibly successful businesses, thriving businesses, um, that you've never heard of, 
now and that the press like barely even knows about and because they don't want any press and there's no reason to write about them. You know, like there's, you know, they're just, they're just going around. I mean, they have this company that their father made, that their grandfather put together, that they started. Um, and these businesses, so say industrials, many, what happens with these businesses is that there's a high barrier to entry. You know, you have to have uh, assets, assets that black people, you know, don't have because they were prevented from having them, you know, or they were stolen, right? Like, your family owns land, you know, in, in this area, right? That, you know, that then they took and they converted and, you know, worked at and, and built into something, you know, or there's this department store or, you know, businesses that existed before. Uh, so my father, though, having just a lot more capital than, I mean, you know, he was the first. So he had more capital earlier than any other, you know, successful African-American today would have gone into this business because it would be an area where, again, he'd be the only one. Like, for instance, take like tech companies. You know, tech companies are, they're, like, they're a terrible way to make money, actually. <laughs> but what it is, is it's accessible because you don't, technically, you don't need any money to start one. And of course, we now know you need access and et cetera, but it's true that you know, the, you just build this software and you, if you know how to do it, right, you don't need to have like a million dollars, you know, or two million dollars to, to go in. So it's a low barrier to entry. Similarly, um, you know, real estate, even as long as you can, as long as you can get a loan, like anyone can, anyone can get into it. So these are very popular ways of, of starting businesses and they're, and they're good ones, you know, they're, they're good ones, but there are many others. Wow. <laughs> many, yeah. many others. That, that was that was a masterclass right there that you just gave. I hope everyone really picked that up. That was a masterclass. I literally was looking, I was I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I have nothing to write down notes with. I wanted to write down notes at the time. That was a masterclass. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Someone mentioned here in the uh, in the questions, by the way, I know there are a lot of people posing questions in the chat. But if you use Q and A for your questions, that way that way I can pull uh, from there. Someone had mentioned that your uh, where was it here? Uh, Ulysses uh, Youngblood said uh, he was aware that your father wanted to get into mass communication. Do you believe he would have uh, done that? And, and I, I wasn't aware that that was um, that was uh, part of the strategy. So is is that the case that he was interested in mass communication? Uh, I hadn't heard that. Okay. Okay, so Ulysses, if you could let us know, um, you know, uh, um, more on that, more on that. Um, so, um, something about my mother's time running the company. Exactly. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, let, let, let's get into that because, you know, what, one of the things that, that I that I hope I was able to uh, unveil, at least for you know for for the BWP community, is how impactful your mother was in the business. I mean, I, 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 I just think that is a underreported part of the legacy is, I mean, she was critical in what I consider saving, you know, the, uh, the, the, the business. So please, you know, talk to us a little bit about your mother's participation because my biggest surprise was actually not how important her role was, but my biggest surprise was that from my interpretation of what she said, she wasn't actively involved 
until after the passing of your father. That was a shock to me because she had to get up to speed so quickly. So how, how, how do you view your mother's role in the business? Mm -hmm. yeah, well, uh, no, my mother is amazing. And the way she just launched herself in, I mean, so few women could do that, just going in and, uh, and taking charge. Um, I will just mention that Jean Fugit, um, my father's uh, younger brother, uh, ran the ran TLC Beatrice for a year, um, right after my right after my dad's death, and she took over uh, for him, um, and he stepped aside, uh, and she brought um, you know just a steadying a steadying perspective and um, and weight to the to the role you know and and determination. That was really important, um, you know. That was really important at the, you know, at the time, and I think extended, uh, you know, extended calm and, you know, uh, and a sense of purpose to the, you know, to, to the business. And it also made clear that this was a, um, you know, a family business. Yes. To some extent, then she ultimately liquidated the company. Um, but it was, um, she was, there's a New York Times article about her because she was, um, in fact, uh, she was the, um, it was the largest women-owned company in America, perhaps, you know, or she was the CEO. It was the largest woman-run business, you know, in, in America. It was amazing. She was on the cover of Working Woman for that. Um, uh, so uh, there, you know, so there, there, it's it's written about, but she, um, you know, she sold off a lot of assets. Like took the, uh, you know, my dad, you know, as you heard, he, you know, he delivered big, but he also liked to live big, right? And um, so there was really fancy offices, you know, and the plane. So my mom sold the plane, yeah. <laughs> like just downgraded to a, you know, downgraded. I mean, you know, downgraded to a less flashy cheaper um you know existence instead of trying to um like recreate the magic you know, and fully step into his role because if my father had still been alive you know he would have uh started probably started trying to acquire more companies you know and he was in this growth phase right. and my mom came in and had the you know i think wisdom to say okay we're just gonna like hang you know kind of hang on to this right and not try to get too fancy um, or try to kind of continue and do exactly what exactly what he would have done. Um, and she was also bringing, uh, I think, a protector you know, sort of spirit. You know, it was it was very uh, it was very scary for her and my sister, who were both on the board of TLC Beatrice. You know, my mom had not been on the board before. What happened is. Uh, you know, she she inherited, uh, you know, so she had the not exactly controlling state, but she was she was the controlling shareholder, you know, in TLC Beatrice with his, you know, with his passing. So obviously she then came onto the board and was a very important, you know, important person. But my sister was the one who'd been on the board, along with two of my father's brothers. Okay. Um, so and so and they supported her also, which was, you know, which was a key uh, obviously a key element. Um, so, um, yeah, so that, so that's, um, so that's that on a personal level, you know, it was hard for me. Um, 
because I was only 13, 14. Um, I was almost 14 when she went and uh, took over the business. And then she was gone. Um, she was gone a lot of the time. Yeah. She did not make it home for dinner. I think because you said it was such a ramp up. Yes. Yeah, so my dad, he, you know, he had like a system and everything, but she was really, you know, she'd worked as a lawyer before, but she was, you know, she was new to it. So yeah, it became an all consuming, an all consuming thing for her. Incredible. By the way, I also will have when it's the right time, a little surprise, because as you know, again, from my Instagram, I'm cleaning out our attic, Yes. our family attic. So I found something, I found something fun up there. All right, good deal, good yeah. deal, good deal. I think we're, we're, we're going to be ready for it. All right, yeah. so now everyone has now decided to ask a million questions. Okay. So I'm gonna do a, a rapid fire. Okay. Uh, because otherwise we would keep you here for, for, for hours and hours. So let's let's just do rapid fire. So there, there were, I saw three questions come in about your sister. You just mentioned that your sister was on the board. She's an actress, she's an artist, right? So give, give us the cliff notes on your sister. Right. <laughs> older sister give us the clip notes on her oh my god wait she just called me actually <laughs> I'm like, then I, I i i sent her a voicemail right i was like sorry but um uh well leslie and i do think she has a website leslie lewis um l-e-s-l-i-e lewis l-e-w-i-s leslie malika lewis uh she is um an actor and producer and most known for a play called Miracle in Rwanda. Uh, yes. Yes. Beautiful one woman show uh, that she wrote uh, along with a friend and that she's produced all over, all over the world. Uh, it's raised a lot of money for Rwanda uh, and, um, uh, and also is a really powerful story of a woman named Immaculate Iligabiza. Uh, who um, who survived the Rwandan genocide uh, in this incredibly powerful, powerful way of emotional resilience. Um, uh, and so Leslie also cares really you know, thoughtfully and deeply about the world. Uh, she has two children, uh, Christian and Sevilla, uh, Sword, and she lives in New York also. I don't want to do, you know, Sisters, it's always, I want to leave her all that, you know, she's, you know, she's public and has her thing. I don't want to do, um, you know, too, uh, you know, it's funny sometimes about being public as a family, but talking about each other. Uh, so, but yeah, that's, that's Leslie. She's, uh, she's older than me. She's my big sister growing up and had, um, and I really learned a lot from her. Learned a lot from her. She was a really key figure for me especially when mom left the house yes basically yeah she she seems she, i mean she, she seems to be a pillar mm -hmm. in the family mm -hmm. you know she was there to support your mother when your mother was you know came in to take over a ceo she was there to support you when your mother couldn't be there you mm -hmm. know there was a lot riding on her shoulders a yeah. lot on her shoulders yeah. yeah this this is why you know um someone just mentioned this i think this is uh reginald carter talking about how he, he's appreciative to be here and get another perspective on his role model, Reginald Lewis, is this is a massive treat for me. And I know for all of the, you know, diehard Reginald Lewis fans out here, this is a massive treat because we're getting context. You know, we're hearing about the skinny dipping and these, you know, these stories that you just can't read anywhere. Like these, these are gems. 
Um, I want to, I want to just do five more questions. I'm going to do five more questions. Yeah. Ella's like massive. Jay, this is massive. Um, so let's do five. This, this will feel miscellaneous, but let's just go five. So one question that I really like here is Clive Davis says in the spirit of building intergenerational legacy wealth, how do you ensure that what we build will be sustained and built on by the succeeding generation? Mm. So great is for you to talk about how you are doing that right? How you all are doing it as the Lewis family. Well, that is a huge question. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, we, uh, we, we, um, well, we read books, actually. I'm going to see if I even have one here. I'm reading just, I have, oh, look, here's, here's just the latest reading. This is, I'm just have this because this is um, the one I'm reading now. This is not my favorite, but Here's just one book borrowed from your grandchildren Interesting. that I'm reading. Uh, let's see. Oh, this one. Here. This is my favorite. Welcome. Wealth in Families. Family. This okay. is just a random copy I have. Paul, if you want, I'll send this to you. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll send this to you. Uh, it's actually, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure it's in print, although I'm sure you can get copies. But yeah, I'll send that to you. Uh, to think a lot you really do have to think about it and uh, and teach your children um, your your values um, in a way that is uh, which is not obvious. Um, that's one of the big lessons that you may think you're teaching your you're showing your children something, but actually you're not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they might see you if they see you working all the time, but if you never actually take them around with you, you know, while you're working and at an early age, they actually may have no idea what you do. You know, all they know about your work is that you're gone all the time and then you complain about it at home. You know? so you have, so they're like, why would I do that? <laughs> you know? Why would I do this thing called work? Yes. Why, why would I do that? You know, all you do is you complain about your employees, you know, and like, I'd like you to be home for me to ride a bike with you. Yes. Right. So that so that's something that um, that I try to do with my children. Um, we're trying to set up some some things like a family council. Uh, we just did. Uh, we were talking about values um, and looking to align what our values are. And I mean, literally, we wrote them down. You know what what they are and where they are. Um, so that's some of it. Family council. What, what would the council do? I'm curious about that. Uh, well, so the family council right now, as adults, there are just the three of us, but it's a concept to, um, if you have things to govern, you know, because we do have like some shared assets and, uh, you know, we have a foundation or other elements. Uh, the council is just a structure for, um, for how you make decisions. You know? And also like where, where data kind of comes in. Now it's just like, okay, what, well, we have to get this report and, you know, like kind of look at this, all right, well, we'll have a meeting and, you know, the P and the people who like send us reports, <laughs> we'll all send them before that date. Um, and, and we can uh, discuss them. I think as, um, when the family becomes really big, you know, if you have a point where it's, um, grand, uh, grandchildren or even great grandchildren, really great families, then the family council might be something that people like get elected to or appointed to. The family council might be in charge of dispersing like a family scholarship fund, you know, which is something that some families set up or someone has said this and 
you know, but someone has to go and decide and evaluate like, you know, what's, what's given out, et cetera. Super, super. Uh, next question here is Henry Thompson from South Carolina mm -hmm. wants to know, Christina, your dad often said, keep going no matter what. Can you share what persistence and resilience meant to your dad, mom, and you? Ooh. Ooh. These are good well, ones coming in. Well, I mean, I think it says it all right there. Just never stop. <laughs> never stop. But do, for me, though, um, that doesn't mean banging your head against the wall. No. So if you, um, so it means don't always go in the same direction. But definitely, uh, definitely keep going. You know, so I think that's, that's it. And it can be a mantra for us. It's helpful um, to have as a motto. One thing, though, that we've added is that what do you keep going for? Well, to build a more compassionate America. You know, when you look at the speech, it wasn't keep going, you know, to like become richer. You know, or keep, keep going. It's like keep going to build a better society in America. Uh, to build a more compassionate America. And you talked about motivation, right, earlier today, you know, and what's your, what's your motivation? And it really has to be um, values-based. Uh, so we- Completely agree, yeah. completely agree. I often talk about, we need to have a higher purpose and we get to that higher purpose through our values. Values are the rule book to life, essentially. There are rules. Uh, so I love that. Uh, next one is from Vic Bell. Must be from Detroit, because I see the hashtag Detroit love. Well, so, you know, Christina, are you an angel investor or VC for black women of color tech startups? If yes, what industries are you most interested in? Hmm. So I do, um, I have done some angel investing, you know, at a very small level. Um, I have, uh, and I have just decided to become active again, actually, but please don't. Please don't send me things. Um, well, or rather, I'm just, I'm very in. Uh, I'm not active, but uh, so I'm still looking at it. But it would have to be an industry, a business that I do know something about or can understand. Um, and I'd of course look at black, you know, black-owned, black-founded businesses, um, women-owned businesses. Uh, but in a way, almost more not more important, but equally as important is, um, you know, is, is the mission, you know, and how likely it is to, you know, to help with, um, with creating economic equity uh, for, for black people. Plus, you know, just anything that looks, um, looks to have promising cash flow would also be, um, would also be, uh, I suppose, on my list. All right, done. I think people are still going to message you. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you can find me again on Instagram, <laughs> Christina99. All right. Two, two more, Christina. So next is Reginald Carter, who's had some great questions already today. He wants to know, what's one thing you remember your father telling you on a daily basis? Daily basis? Oh, well, I love you on a daily basis. I love you. Um, yeah, no, good job. <laughs> uh, hello. Um, uh, um, you know, good night, sweetheart. <laughs> every day. I mean, it wasn't a motivational speech every day. Um, yeah, how was school? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you, you know, one thing that uh, is is already, I think, one of the most resonating moments 
is you talked about what happened at the dinner table and his interaction with you at the dinner table. It's fascinating because I'm sure if you talk to my boys, Kingston and Liam, they'd say the same thing. They'd be like, this feels like prison. We're trapped here. They won't let us go, right? And I'm quizzing them and, and Jill's doing the same. I love that. I love that. And so even though I know I, I know I, there's only the, the, the two more, but let me squeeze one in here is that what are you taking from the lifestyle, right? From the family that you remember growing up with? What, are you, what have you taken and implemented in your family? Hmm. Uh, well, the, um, uh, uh, well, let's see. I mean, one is birthdays. Now, I really love, we have a birthday tradition of celebrating the birthday in the morning. Yeah, oh. just us first thing and cake and everything it's all ready and you get woken up with your with your cake and the candles and all your presents um that uh just that morning and it's a great way to start the to start the day and um and i love doing that uh i i don't know if this is what people were sort of looking for but um uh two um we have meals of the week uh, like I'm saying, meal. You know, like every every day is uh, is a meal. Friday is spaghetti and meatballs or spaghetti and meat sauce, um, which uh, which just add. I, I think it adds structure to the home, and so the kids uh, the kids really like that. Uh, we also don't go out to eat that much, although we do order takeout. Um, and then from a family perspective, though, might like this uh, putting a. Ch- charitable giving uh, and philanthropy as a real conscious, um, putting that in the children's minds uh, from the outset. Oh, also uh, allowance um, and having an allowance. And I have a whole, maybe I'll have to blog about it or something, a whole structure about like how you give allowance and um, uh, so that children can start to understand how to spend money and save it. Uh, But uh, giving, Um, you know, my son's only nine. Um, but we've started doing uh, uh, some giving with him where um, uh, so that he can really experience it. And we've done some giving circles. Again, I'm going to be talking about this in my Instagram story. I don't know if you know about them, but it's where everyone agrees to give money to a place that the group selects. Uh, and you can do it just as your family, but it's a way of really bringing um bringing these ideas into the family. So we did one uh, for a political one uh, in August, yeah, where we did Joe Biden. And it was fascinating. It was all of us, my sister's children too, you know, and um, uh, and, and their father and her. And it was, uh, it was an amazing moment with these teenagers and others that even though we'd of course all talked about this, right? Like we're all familiar with it. We hadn't come together and really opened it up and we simply watched his campaign video, like his, his opening, his campaign launch video all together and, uh, and had a conversation about why it was important to us. And we, I learned something about each and every one of the people in the room, you know, who are my closest family. Right. Uh, because it's, it's a different context where people, so, um, so, so that's something the giving, so I'd say the giving circle though, is taking one of my dad's ideas, but anding it, uh, because he would, uh, 
he he didn't go to that level of creating an independent structure within the family. He had things that he was doing that he'd invite um, me to join in on. You know, for example, like his foundation, you know, which had a board that he chaired, and I was invited to join that. Um, but I uh, I've taken that and I think moved it into a place where instead of just one person leading. You know, because obviously, like I, I am leading it, and that I'm putting the pieces in place. But to make the effect like more communal, you know, about what the group is doing and a form of leadership that's empowering. Uh, so you didn't ask that question, but I think that's the and that I've put onto things as the air. You know, and I think that comes out of my realization that you know the problem with the great leader model, you know is of course what happened to me, uh, which is that if something happens to him, I mean, you know, it's, and this is like making light of what was obviously the most incredibly difficult thing that's like, that's happened to me in my life. And I think that really can happen to anyone um, in, uh, you know, in this way to have it be so sudden. Uh, but I think that that's why in my own family, I want them to be, you know, if something happens to me, I want them to sort of be, to prepare them to be okay. I mean, not that, of course, they'd be okay, but to say, well, what would, if I left, what would still remain now? Mm -hmm. And like, what remains after you go? And that's really the definition of legacy. You know? and, it's, and it gives a lot to my motivation you know, and what's important. I just had chills on that. That's an aha moment. I've never actually heard legacy defined that way. What remains after you leave. You know, that's that's powerful. That's, that's incredibly powerful. Uh, last question. Last question. What have we not talked about? And can I show my thing also after that? Sure, absolutely. 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 What yeah, what 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 have we not? I feel like we've covered not talked about topics, but but what's something that you want? I mean, because this is a special group that's watching right now, and we'll be watching the replay. These are folks who, you know, are diehards. I mean, just so you know, Christine, they not only met periodically, but met as small collectives of, you know, five to 10 people, mm -hmm. debated out various topics from the book, then met as larger groups, you know, 100 plus people as larger group to then discuss it, and, and, and have been doing this for, I don't know, God knows how long, like two or three months, right? So this, this is a hardcore yeah. fan base right here. So is there anything that you'd like to share that you think could be of value to, to this group? Well, um, I have just some of my favorite uh, lines from the book. I uh, thought I'd be interested. Um, you know, set your terms up front. Set your terms up front. It's funny. It's not his line. It's actually his mother who said that to him about the uh, his uh, his paper route. Uh, remember, he um, if anyone remembers in the chat, but she she want he asks her to run the paper route, and uh, she um, and she does, but then she expects to keep the money, and he gets really mad at her, <laughs> and so she tells him he needs to set his terms up front. And um, I think that's funny for one, yes, a good piece of business advice, but also, you know, that is, that's his mother, right? <laughs> but that's his mother and that was their relationship, you know? Um, and I think it does, uh, so it says something also about, you know, about that, that environment and she is an amazing, amazing woman. Wow. Um, 
you know, act like you know where you're going. <laughs> mm. Come on now. Come on now. Yeah. I mean, he, he says that to his brother, uh, Gene, because he throws Gene into a meeting. But sometimes, uh, sometimes it is that simple, right? Sometimes it is that simple. Um, uh, especially, I think, being Black in business. You know, when you bring the right... Uh, you bring the right energy and, and sometimes it's that simple. So sometimes, and then the third to become a lawyer, one must work hard. Right. So I think when you pair the hard work, uh, you know, with it, um, Oh, someone says, know where you are going. You know, there is something to that too. And most of the time he did know where he was going. Right. Like, but, uh, you know, act, act like you know where you're going uh, can can get you a long way. It can, can get you a good amount of the way there, too, especially as you're figuring it out. You, you know, these three set your terms up front, front, act like you know where you're going to become a lawyer, even though you can insert almost any career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One must work hard. I'm sharing those with my boys. Uh, I'm, I'm sharing them with my boys two nights um, at, at dinner. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a fourth. Okay. And this one, you asked about Trump. I will not tolerate racism anywhere from anybody on any joke or anything. This is a line in the book. And I'm sorry, I don't have the full one. But if you go and look, it later it goes on to say, I don't care. Or something, like I'm paraphrasing. I don't care if it's the president of the United States. He actually says that. Um, so that's, those are words to live by, right? And I think to go the, uh, yeah. No. And that really is, I think, why he is such a hero to, you know, to, to Black people um, and, and even to Black men in particular. It's those guts, because that is true. That is, that is true that I will not tolerate racism anywhere from anybody. Like all these people that he went and talked to, it was, it's in the book um, related to a guy named Peter Offerman. By the way, my dad, including his name in the book is a big, you know, is a big like F you to that guy. He, and if you remember, he talks about that and what he said to him. Um, he, he did that every step of the way. He would call people out as hard as it was you know, and how much he needed, um, you know, the buy-in from, you know, from white people, right? Because there were, that uh, he, he will not, I will not tolerate racism, period, the end. So. I'm going to tell you, Christina, those four, they, they may end up on, on my wall. I'm not, they may, they will. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. Those, those Let's are do a poster. Done. <laughs> so you, you, think I'm, you think I'm playing? That, that poster's gonna be ready tomorrow. Watch. Hold on for a second. Do it. Let's do it. All right, done. done. And 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 the money will go to the black. Oh, that is great. There we go. There we go. All right, I love it. We we, um, we are doing it. Uh, Marshawn said these are my affirmations from now on. Dia says please have the poster available for sale ASAP. We're <laughs> <laughs> doing it. Dia's already mad at us because the poster's not available yet. <laughs> we're sorry, we're sorry, we're getting right on it. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. All, all I have to say is this has been treat beyond treats. 
treat beyond treats. Huge treat. I, I wanted to show you this thing that has never been seen to the before and like not for years. So I feel uh, you have the, I love you have the first edition hardcover copy. I actually have the commemorative edition. We sort of, we gave away like all of our hard copies. So I have one hard, like the original that's at home in here. But so, but I have this, okay. So I just found this in the attic cleanup. Oh my goodness. This is. Oh, uh, oh, that's yeah. the manuscript. Yeah, so this is the manuscript of just his writings. Oh my goodness. Hold on, hold on. band <laughs> moment. Can I take a picture? Band moment. <laughs> yeah. Band moment right here. Band so, I thought you'd get a kick out of this. Band moment right here. Band Oh my goodness, let me make sure the photo came out. Yes. Uh, yeah, just to see, I thought you'd appreciate seeing some of his process. So this is it. He actually has, did some notes in here. Wow, okay. You know, like he made comments. Uh, and there are some bits that were cut from the book now that are his. And then here are, see, cause he wrote out parts of it longhand. So this is from his legal note, legal pad that I talked about. Let's see, he did this writing and they put in here just some of his, the, some of the, uh, some of the notes. You know, Christina, um, yeah. the chapters, yeah. uh, so are those, the chapter outline that he has there, yeah. are there any chapters that did not make it from his original? Uh, so, you know something, I think that uh, yeah, not not everything went in, but he also it was redone. I have to look. So to be honest, I just found this. Yeah. <laughs> I I just found this, and uh, and so I haven't gone through and done the done the thing. Wow. But yeah, there might there might be. Man, I, I tell you, you know what also strikes me about that is how beautiful his handwriting was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Straight those lines are. Do you see? Yeah. That? Yeah, although you know something? You know something? I realized, so see this right here? Yes. This is his handwriting. Okay. I think this might be his brother's. <laughs> this actually might be his brother's. So his brother, um, my uncle Gene, uh, my dad dictated some of the book. He wrote some of it, he dictated a bunch of it. And as I looked at this again, I think this is probably my uncle Gene's handwriting. Okay. Okay. Um, this, and this, is, this is gems. I, I'm sorry. I swear I'm not going to ask you a million questions, but I just have a few. Was the what was the original title of the book? Did your father come oh. up with the original title? Oh yeah. That was okay. 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 That's him. Why should white guys have all the fun? It's right here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there because um, I mean, it, it, and that also goes to show you how bold he was. To, to come up with that. I mean, clearly, I remember your mother saying, well, he got that from, that was working at the club, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, or, or, no, no, was it the grandmother? What, what was yeah, with his grandparents. Yes. Yeah, his grandparents. But for him to title the book that, that, that is, that's just. So then after your father wrote that, is that when this gentleman Blair, uh, Blair Walker, mm -hmm. So Blair Walker came and then he took that manuscript 
okay. And then he was able to do his research from, from that point. Yes. Yeah. What I suspect this is, is I think that this is the binder, a copy of the binder that was given to Blair. Okay. So this is like someone went through, I, I would assume later, because this is photocopies. And they were like, okay, we're going to find everything that, you know, Mr. Lewis wrote, you know, like all the notes from this. And just to be sure, we'll even include like this, the, um, the handwritten, you know, the Xeroxes of the handwritten thing and organize it and then give this to Blair so that he has this to go and get going. Or who knows, maybe Blair created this himself, but it would be more, it would be more typical of the staff that they would uh, kind of hand this to Blair. Yeah, where, where is that going? Is that going to a museum? What are you going to do with that? You know, I don't know, but it does feel like there could be, you know, that there could be, um, that, it, that it could support something like that, right? Christina, you just found the Rosetta Stone. That's <laughs> basically what you did, really. You found the Rosetta Stone. Mm -hmm. It must go into a museum, mm -hmm. it must. Yeah, yeah, no, I, um, I, I would like that. I would like that. Yeah, I would like that. We um, we think about it. We um, yeah. Again, with the attic clean out and organizing, I don't know if you've seen it, but like, what I've been posting is only this much of it because yeah, this is just uh, there are boxes, file cabinets. We actually have, and this isn't all. There's actually offsite storage with more stuff that I don't even know what it is. So um. But you can also, you can donate things to research institutions. So there are the different ways, but I do think about it. There's a Jackie Robinson museum uh, and, uh, you know, a, a standalone, it's a, you know, it's a lot of it. That was, hey, if, if, you, if you're here to help, anything is possible. You, you just gave us, you know, have you ever had a good rum cake from Jamaica, good Caribbean dark, okay, you have. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the question, Christina. Do you like the icing or no? Do you just like the cake without the icing? I just like the cake. I just like the cake, too. <laughs> I like the cake. Now, I will say, my wife, Jill, because she's put me on to all good things in life, she's taught me about buttercream icing. Buttercream icing, I love on anything. Mm -hmm. You essentially, for two hours, you gave us that good Jamaican black cake. <laughs> and you just... You just decided to throw a dollop of <laughs> cream on the top by showing us that Rosetta Stone. That was incredible. That was a massive moment. Massive moment. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Paul. And I'll, I'll definitely be in touch on the poster. <laughs> I love it. And that's it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And let me tell you, I truly feel like I'm becoming better through these discussions, and I hope you feel the same way. Anyways, until next time, catch you on the next episode of Better With Paul.